0: Alright, series on Psalms. We're looking at Psalms. It's the second Sunday on Psalms called Living Out Loud. And today we're going to look at a category of Psalms. It's called the Wisdom Psalms. And uh, it's amazing to realize that God has given us the Psalms as a source of wisdom for a withering world. And we're going to look at the first psalm. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. We're going to study Psalm 1. So I want to read the first or the, the six verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." This week I posted some pictures on social media expressing how good I felt about getting our firewood cut up and stacked for the winter, because I was way behind on that. And the pictures show two cords of uh, cubic cords, that is, stacked against my garage and three cubic cords on the deck right at the door so I can come out in my slippers and get some wood in the winter. But since then, I've had a few Good friends gently point out to me the potential fire hazard of stacking wood so close to the house, and many of you are nodding yes. And one of them just might happen to be the former state fire marshal. And the <clears throat> so I, ha- I just I just will say I, I do appreciate wisdom, <laughs> the the wisdom of the of the the sages in our <laughs> social context, right? <laughs> so this collected wisdom, this social wisdom, is a type of wisdom that is often called conventional wisdom. And conventional wisdom is a socially arrived at assumption about what is true, about what is reality, and it shows up... Uh, in various situations and genres of jobs that we have and the culture around us, but it reveals the fact that people are wanting wisdom, people are needing wisdom, people are looking for the kind of wisdom that we see addressed in Psalm 1, that our need for wisdom is what causes us to ask, is there a source of wisdom that we can build our life on? that can give us direction and guidance and counsel for decisions that we make. So where do we go to find that wisdom? And even furthermore, the assumption of Psalms is that where can we go to find wisdom that leads to happiness, that leads to success? Conventional wisdom gets its information from the culture around us. When new ideas are introduced, they're usually compared to conventional wisdom on a subject before they're considered to be true. But conventional wisdom has its limits. Uh, It's always changing, which means we can never be sure whether or not to take the advice or not. For example, tell me whether you think these things are right or wrong. Conventional wisdom says dress socks should match your shoes and your belt. <laughs> of, of course. Conventional wisdom says eating fat makes you fat. Conventional wisdom says the customer is always right. <laughs> Conventional wisdom says live for today because that's all we have. Conventional wisdom says Canada produces the best hockey players. <laughs> Conventional wisdom says soccer is just a minor lead sport in America. <laughs> Conventional wisdom says forbidden fruit is always the sweetest. Conventional wisdom says the end justifies the means, that it's okay to do wrong even if it gives you a chance to do right. <laughs> oh, right. Right. <laughs> We will let you through the pearly gates. <laughs> you, you, you got the test right. Well, each of these idioms of conventional wisdom are based on some socially arrived at assumption about what is true. And there are several problems, as you can recognize, about socially accepted norms of what is considered to be conventional wisdom, because conventional wisdom assumes that the more majority opinion is always right. Over time, unfortunately, conventional wisdom has proven to be often wrong. For example, millions of people once believed that the earth was flat, and millions of people believed that the earth was the center of the universe. We have some pilots here that can prove otherwise, right? I was taught back in the 1960s and 70s that it's not wise for a pastor to become close friends with members of the congregation. Interesting. Then I would be afraid of speaking the truth. So As a result, I've lived a very lonely life. (laughs) Uh, I don't believe that's true, by the way. I was also taught back in the day that a minister should not put down roots in a church, that it's not wise to stay in one place for a long time because a minister might fall in love with the world and he needs to move on, you know, back to the circuit-riding days. Anyway, that was the circles in which I grew up and what I was taught, and it might have been different in different circles, but, but conventional wisdom often within cultural um, um, boxes or that we live in, cultural environments that we live in, often goes unquestioned. And it's often universally accepted, so much so that we are not even allowed to question some of these conventional wisdoms. So just because millions of people believe a thing is foolish doesn't make it any less foolish, however, right? I was an exa- example of this. This week I was... Uh, reading an acquaintance of mine up in the Yukon. uh, He's an engineer, a French-Canadian named Etienne Tardif, who has been challenging conventional wisdom about keeping bees, overwintering bees. And he says that conventional wisdom would say this, but I'm finding this. Conventional wisdom would say this, and I'm finding this, and so he's... He's advocating different principles for overwintering bees, particularly when it comes to overwintering them in polystyrene-insulated hives versus wooden hives. So I won't bore you with that. I I bored the first congregation with some of those details. But just to say that uh, the conventional wisdom is often changing as we learn new things and uh, new inventions are happening. And so obviously conventional wisdom, as we call it that, is not the wisdom to build our life on. It's, there's, it's a different kind of wisdom. If conventional wisdom can change, if it can fluctuate, then it isn't eternal and it isn't always true or universally, universally true. For example, if I shouldn't stack firewood against my house, well, what about when the floods come? You know, I have a choice between it burning down or or flowing away in a flood. <laughs> anyway, over <a> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> he's, he's sticking up for your husband, aren't you? You're getting defensive. You got a good wife, Rich. And if... <laughs> Anyway, if conventional wisdom isn't dependable, is it really wisdom at all? It it causes us to ask this important question. Is there a source of wisdom that doesn't change? Are there first principles that are universally true? And the answer is, yes, there are. And James talks about that and describes it as a kind of wisdom that he says is a wisdom that comes down to us from above. And I want to read you these verses in James chapter 3. I didn't include them as a slide, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look here in James 3 verse 13. Who is the wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom for if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly unspiritual of the devil for there you have for where you have "...envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness." Conventional wisdom gets its information from the culture around us, but this wisdom from above comes to us from the culture of heaven. One place where God sent wisdom down from heaven to us is in the book of Psalms. And there's a category of Psalms that are called the wisdom Psalms. And and it's interesting that when they put together the collection of 150 psalms, that the very first psalm that they started them out with was a psalm on wisdom. Psalm one is a wisdom psalm. And it begins with the words Blessed is the man, blessed is the man. And in Psalm 1, God is revealing this universal wisdom for man's most basic question, how can I be happy? How can I be blessed in this life? And the Hebrew in the the word is exclamatory. It's like it means, oh, the blessedness of walking this way of life and following this course of wisdom. So... Psalm 1 is an introduction to the rest of the Psalms, and it sets the tone for everything else by laying down the first principles of life. It's, in a sense, the gatekeeper for the entire Bible and and the entire book of Psalms, and has often been considered by students and scholars to be the kind of a, a summary psalm of the whole book. Psalm 1 teaches us something that is foundational, that is basic, like as if it's the first lesson we need to learn. It's the most important lesson we need to get a hold of. It's the one lesson that all the rest of the Psalms is based upon. It's the lesson that all of life is based on. And it tells us that there's a universal principle of wisdom that is true about everyone from the day that they are born. So Psalm 1 is describing our life as God intends it to be. It's a wisdom psalm because it describes how life works and it orients us to life. It gives us the direction in which our life should be oriented. It describes the secret to a happy life. It presents the first principles of what it is that produces happiness in this life. It teaches us why some people are happy and why others are not. So let's look at four first principles that produce a happy life. The first one is, according to Psalm 1, people who are happy set healthy boundaries to disconnect from sin. People who are happy set happy, bound, set happy boundaries, healthy boundaries to disconnect from sin. Psalm 1 begins by saying, blessed is the man. And then it describes how that man who is blessed creates a culture of healthy boundaries and refuses to allow some things to influence his life. And he refuses to allow his life to be shaped by sin. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm because it acknowledges something that is true about life, and that is the power of influence. It urges us to take action to choose what it is we're going to allow to influence our life. And the outcome of our life will be the result of what we allow to influence it. And it's very significant to how this psalm begins. They begin just like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount began, remember? The Sermon on the Mount began, blessed is the man. And Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man. That means in Psalm 1, God is addressing man's most basic, fundamental need and question. How can I be happy? How can I be blessed? Where do we find blessedness in this life? The word blessed, of course, means joyful, it means fulfilled, it means satisfied. Blessed is the man who does these things. He finds happiness, fulfillment, joy, satisfaction. And the first thing we see from this text is that this blessedness is possible. It's a possibility. Happiness is possible. And that's a staggering statement when you think about it. It's a thunderous statement that happiness is actually possible, achievable. Is that really true? Does God really want us to be happy? Absolutely. And this happiness is not just temporary, but it's perpetual. It can continue on. It's not just a a one-time sense of happiness that we have. But the word translated blessed is in the plural in the original Hebrew, and it means perpetual or ongoing blessings. It can be read, if there was such a word, we can make up a word like blessednesses or happinesses is really how it should be read in the Hebrew. So how can I be happy then? How can I be truly happy? Well, the first thing... The psalmist is saying in this wisdom psalm is that happiness is the derivative of setting boundaries. People who are happy make the conscious choice about what they will allow to influence their life. They take control of their choices and they choose to fill their life with God. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scorners. Three boundaries are mentioned here, where we walk, where we stand, and where we sit. And these three actions basically encompass all of our life, all of human activity. Walking in the counsel of the wicked represents the influence of godly living, Godly thinking and standing in the way of sinners represents being influenced by lawless living and sitting in the seat of mockers represents the influence of careless speaking. So there are three things the man who is blessed must set boundaries to disconnect from. Godless thinking, lawless living, and careless speaking. And there's so much more we could unpack from that, but it's telling us that happy people learn to say no to these influences. And we must remember that there's a negative side to happiness. Uh, There are some things that the, the blessed person chooses to not do. There's a divine nature within our personality that's diametric diametrically opposed to things that are godless, things that are wrong, sinful, and scornful. And so we say no to those things, and we set boundaries to those things, But because we're choosing God's way of wisdom, and his way of wisdom produces happiness. And that's why setting boundaries against these things lead to a happy life. So before we move on to the next point, I want to ask you this question. What healthy boundaries do you need to set? How do you need to disconnect from sin? There's a second principle of wisdom about how to find happiness in this life, and that is that happiness is the result of making the choice to follow God. It says in verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Happiness is the result of taking God seriously. And this is, he's referring to that wisdom that James referred to, the wisdom that comes to us from, from above, comes down to us from above, the law of the Lord. And the second first principle that we learn in this wisdom psalm is that happiness results from our choice to follow God's counsel, God's direction of life. Happiness is the derivative of obedience to God. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So life presents us with two options, two choices between two ways to walk, two directions in life that leads to different ends. One is the right way that leads to happiness, and the other is the wrong way that leads to misery. Verse 1 says, "'The wise person knows what to avoid.'" And he avoids, he sets boundaries, he says no to worldly wisdom. But verse 2 says that a wise person knows what to make primary, what to make essential, what to make most important in his life, what to, to, to put to the top of his schedule, to prioritize. He takes time to immerse himself in the word of God. He says yes to God's wisdom. He says yes to God's counsel. He says, as we were, we were singing earlier, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. And so his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. In each one of our lives, there needs to become a moment of time when we hear the call of wisdom from the Holy Spirit calling us to God and we make the decision, I'm going to follow the Lord. Has that moment ever arrived in your life where you have heard the call of wisdom and chosen to follow in the path of the Lord? And that decision begins as a crisis experience of decision-making, but it continues on, this verse says, in, in a maintenance, it's maintained in a daily process of choosing the path that leads to life and saying no to the path that leads to death. He says, he delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night, day and night, day and night. We might have gotten a deposit of wisdom from the Lord a year ago, but we're gonna need a fresh deposit today, right? Right? And the most important life lesson for us to learn is that right now counts forever. The choices we make matter forever. And we are always choosing a path that takes us somewhere. The lesson of Psalm 1 is very simple, very foundational and basic, but it's critical to understand. Every day we have a choice between two paths. And we must realize that our choices always have outcomes, have consequences. And wisdom is seeing that. Wisdom is understanding that. It is seeing the consequence of decision-making and saying yes to the path that leads to blessedness and righteousness and saying no to the misery and the future of the wicked. Every choice we make has a consequence, and if you want happiness, you can't leave God out of your life. The most important choice you'll ever make is to not leave God out of the picture, to chase after his counsel, not the counsel of the wicked. So happiness is choosing the God-centered life rather than a self-centered life. And this leads to the third first principle of wisdom about a happy life. And that is, seek holiness and you will find happiness. What I want to point out next is that you'll never be more happy than when you love what God loves and hate what God hates. Psalm 1 teaches us that happiness is inseparably joined with holiness, And I love what Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary on Psalm 1. He said, Those who are happy, truly happy, are holy, truly holy. And if you want to be happy, you cannot dismiss God. You can't leave him out of the picture. That means you have to align yourself, your values, your priorities, with his holiness, with what God says is right. Did you know that holiness and happiness are not separate things? They go together, they're interconnected. And holiness is the only way, it's the only path to happiness. Seek holiness and you will find happiness, is the wisdom of Psalm 1. And actually, happiness is never something that we're told to seek directly in and of itself, according to the Scriptures. It's what Jesus meant when he said, In Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He doesn't say blessed are those who seek after a blessing. He says blessed are those who pursue righteousness. If we seek holiness, then we'll find happiness because we're aligning our will with God's will. And when we do that, we're walking in harmony with the way that he's designed life to work. And our hunger for happiness is evidence that we have a need for holiness. Only God can fill the emptiness that is within. And happiness can never be found directly by seeking after it. It's a byproduct. Wisdom always says, blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, not after happiness, after something more than blessedness. So do we seek happiness or do we seek holiness? Which should we seek after? Well, if you seek after holiness more than happiness, you'll get both of them together. But if you seek happiness more than holiness, you'll get neither one. That's the teaching of Psalm 1. And we have time for one more first principle for happiness, and it comes in verses 3 and 4 at the center of the Song of Wisdom, and it gives this striking contrast between uh, the ungodly man is portrayed as chaff and the godly man is portrayed as like a tree planted by living water. Here's how it it goes. It says, The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, but not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. I love that phrase. He's like a tree plant, planted by streams of water and the leaf never withers. His roots are going down into the soil to draw life into the very core of his being. And it tells us that it is the life of God within us that produces happiness. Happiness is filling ourselves up with the life of God or not filling ourselves up, but allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us up with the life of God, with the divine nature of God. And there are two paths that we can pursue and choose. The one path produces chaff, and the other path produces a vibrant, flourishing tree that does not wither. And what's the difference then? What causes a tree to flourish and the other to be dried up chaff? The chaff is connected to nothing. And that's the genius in this analogy. The tree is connected to something besides itself. Chaff is a picture of no roots. Uh, it just blows around. A Chaff is hollow. It's empty. It has no substance. It has no stability but the tree is connected. It puts roots down into the water, and there's a vitality that produces this stability. The the tree goes outside itself and gets filled up, and the happiness comes from a resource outside of itself. What does it go to? Well, the metaphor of Psalm 1 says the tree goes into the law of the Lord, and then... He delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And in verse 3 it says he's like a tree that is planted, planted by streams of water. And it's very, very clear that the parallelism of the psalm is showing us that the tree is putting its roots down into water, and that parallels the person who is delighting in the law of the Lord. The person who delights in the Lord and is filled up, fills his soul up with the Lord. Day and night is the person who is happy and thriving and fulfilled. The psalmist doesn't say the godly is like a great pine tree, but the wicked are, you know, they're sort of like a little dogwood tree. It's not like that. It says that one is like a tree and the other is like chaff. The difference between a godly and ungodly is not that the godly is a nicer version of the other person, a better person, but it's a completely different nature. The godly has been planted. The godly have been given a new nature, a substance of life that has come within them. Giving them the capacity to be who they aren't naturally. We are born again of the Spirit of God, and God breathes life within us and gives us a new nature so that we're no longer empty, we're filled. And this helps clarify something about happiness. That the first major mistake that we humans often make about happiness is we trying to find our happiness in our circumstances, don't we? Psalm 1 gives wisdom for finding, though, the secret to real happiness. It comes from planting our roots down into God's love, not from our circumstances. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 3 when he prayed for them. This is how he prayed for them. If you look at the prayers of of the saints in the Bible, that prayers are significant. They tell us what's important. And here's how Paul prayed. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in in your inner being... So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you know what that means? To be filled with all the fullness of God? I was telling the first congregation of a time when I was a young pastor in, back in 1978, I believe it was, in my very first church that I had this evangelist come from Wales to preach a series of meetings and revival services in my church, and his name was Dr. Douglas Crossman, and he had been instrumental in the Hebrides revival with Duncan Campbell years earlier, and... uh, And he asked me, he said, Dale, what are you going to preach next Sunday to your congregation? And I said, well, I was thinking of speaking about uh, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3 about being filled with all the fullness of God. And he says, Dale, Dale, he says, what makes you think that you understand what that means? (laughs) He said, saints from all the ages are still trying to figure out the depth of what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. (laughs) And uh, I was so naive, I still went ahead and preached on it. I'm not sure I know the full capacity of what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. But I do know the delight of getting a splash once in a while, (laughs) of getting filled up, energized, something of that heavenly nature put into me that seems clean, it seems pure, it seems peaceable. It's that wisdom that comes from above that James says is, first of all, pure and peace-loving. And I just love that nature of heaven when it is poured into my heart. And happiness never consists of what happens to us, but by what the Holy Spirit is transferring into us from the Lord. And what's he transferring to us? He is transferring the love of God into us, Paul prayed, so that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God, a fullness that satisfies our emptiness so that we're not chaff, we're not hollow, we're not empty. We're like a tree that draws energy and vibrancy and life from its roots up from the source of living water. So our happiness does not consist in what happens to us, but but what we're filled with. Do you get that principle? It's it's an important principle of wisdom. C.S. Lewis made this statement about happiness in that regard. He says, God designed the human machine to run on God himself. He himself is the fuel for our spirits. We're designed to burn, or the food for our spirits we're designed to feed on from him. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because there is, because it is not there There is no such thing. You remember the old couplet that said, two men looked out from prison bars, one saw mud and the other saw stars. You remember that one? You ever heard that one? Two men looked out from the prison bars, one saw mud and the other saw stars. What was the difference? The point of that little ditty or whatever you call it is that the circumstances were identical, the same bars, the same prison, the same circumstance, but what was different was in their outlook, was in the man. It was a difference in themselves, within them. And there are, it illustrates how there are two types of people. Some are filled with the life of God, and others are not. And it makes an eternal difference in our joy, our satisfaction, in our happiness and the outcome of how we live. It's the life of God within that produces happiness, not external circumstances. The Apostle Paul may very well have been thinking of this principle in Psalm one when he said, and be not drunk with wine which is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the secret of it all, being filled with something, being filled with him, being filled with the fullness of God. This is the wisdom for a withering world. Happy people choose to fill their life with God. Lord Jesus, I ask that you will give us the ability to not just take information, but to take it and apply it, and then it will become wisdom for our lives. Lord, help us to act on what we know today to set boundaries, to disconnect from sin, to make a choice to follow hard after you, to pursue your counsel, to seek holiness first, ahead of happiness, and to receive that life of God within that you've promised to give us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. And we want to declare right now that It is your truth that we stand upon. It is the wisdom that comes to us from above in the midst of a time in which we live of a cancel culture that wants to cancel out the wisdom that comes from above. We stand on your wisdom and believe that you have given us a deposit from heaven for our happiness, and we trust that and stake our life on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand.